Hey there, Romantics. I'm Morgan. And I'm Isabel. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you'd like to support us even more, please tell your friends or your mom. And subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite listening app. We also have a Patreon if you'd like to give us some financial support. If not, we get it. No worries. All of our content is free for all of our listeners. Thank you again for your support of Womance. Thank you so much for listening. (laughs) I'm Morgan. And I'm Isabeau. And this is Romance, a podcast about romance novels, about dope cloaks, about various mythological creatures, bone and down, about tacky lace dresses, about rescuing your mom, about your job somehow also being your species, about meeting new friends in weird places. About Big Bird's rapist cousin. About maybe doing things at parties that you don't want to do, but you want to seem cool in front of everyone else because you've lived kind of a sheltered life in like a rural place. About the reassuring thought that even with supernatural powers, you would still get down the way you do now. (laughs) About locking eyes with someone across a dance floor. Cold, dead eyes. Dead eyes. But mostly it's about that first thing. Romance novels. And And ourselves. Oh, wow. So guess what? This is technically a woeness. Woeness! Because it's spooky. (laughs) It was really good. Did you like the turn? We just wanted to give our producer some choices for (laughs) intro. Because today we're actually going to be talking about a wee little short story from, well, what is this? Is it a compendium? Is it a collection? I would call it a collection, right? Because it's multiple authors who are all writing on the same theme. Right. And this theme is finding love at the annual Monster Ball. They did the mash. They did the monster mash. The monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. The monster mash. I don't know the rest of the words. It went off in a flash. (laughs) I'm glad that you could do it. We are celebrating the spooky season real big over here at Wobance because we love it. We do. We really do. Loves it. Loves it. And it's like, here's the thing. It's so multifaceted because like, obviously there are ghost stories. Obviously there are monster stories and Monsters Ball really has it all and puts it all in one night, right? At one party. But like, that's not really how parties work. All of sometimes kind of. What was that awesome movie where it's like their final... Final Destination? Can't hardly wait. Ah, yes. I've heard it does not hold up. I would believe that a thousand percent. There are very few late 90s, early aughts teen films that I feel like really hold up can pass muster. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what? That's okay because now we have Monster Ball book two. We don't need Can't Hardly Wait anymore. So nice. They did it twice. (laughs) That's right. So Monster Ball is a collection of short stories that revolve around a ball for monsters. Or supernaturals, as they seem to call themselves, soups. Yeah. So that's everything from dryads to selkies to demons to other kinds of ethereal fae. There's also just like the fae, which is like a loose conglomeration of supernatural folks. They all have sex with humans, but they don't like having sex with humans because humans suck. So, Isabel, you got to pick out the stories because I picked out the collection. Yes. Should we call it a Necromicon? Yeah, let's call it the Necromicon. Or we could call it the Grimoire. 
Yeah. Lots of good spooky kinds of books. God, I really love a grimoire. Human flesh book. A lot of people don't know this, but if you do own a physical copy of Monster Ball Book 2, it is bound in human flesh. It's a big, big collection. Some stories are longer than others. They've all got different monsters. And I'm really curious to find out if they all have different interpretations about this idea of a monster's ball. Like how much guidance did they get? And lots of authors, even authors who aren't necessarily supernatural romance authors. We've got some YA people. We've got some regular old contemporary folks, some military romance writers, all sorts of people coming to play in the ooky spooky sandbox. So if you're thinking, huh, that kind of sounds like fan fiction, where a bunch of like-minded folks were given a kind of world with a kind of scaffolding and a kind of prompt, and then they were allowed to like go, you know, OC on it, original character. That isn't too far off from my reading experience of Monsters Ball. As somebody who reads fan fiction, not irregularly. One of the things that I really liked about the story that we're going to talk about today, Turning the Tides, about a selkie, is that... Deep cut monster. A lot of this world was already assumed for me, right? Like there's this ball that's a big night. Monsters can't be killed on this night. They can only be harmed, which is like a really weird rule. But like there are just some things that you sort of just have to buckle yourself in for and be like, I'll either get it or I won't because this world is already made. And like I'm not as familiar with this world as I am with like Harry Potter or Star Wars. I agree with you, Isabel. I don't know if I'd go so as far as to call these characters original. (laughs) Fair. Super 100% fair. We're dealing with a lot of stock monsters. Well, I think that kind of gets to what you're saying, though. I think there's something like I really appreciated about this short story and that it knew like you could keep up, like it trusted its readers to be able to keep up with the concept, which is phenomenal. And also like really necessary when you're writing a short piece, I think. You can't get bogged down and like, are they going to get it? You know, I've got to make sure that I'm very clear on all of my points. Like just trust your readership. You're writing a story about a selkie falling in love with a necromancer, which is somehow both his job and his species. And like, don't get hung up on the crusty old details. The people who are reading this already know them. Or if they don't, they're going to look it up. And if they don't look it up, they're just along for the ride anyway. And you really don't need to look them up. It's a simple concept. Mm hmm. And it's one storyline. I wouldn't even say that the romantic storyline is in any way separate from the main storyline. It's 100 percent not. <laughs> Like the central spoke of this collection is the monster's ball. And then each line out of the spoke is a particular character who's interacting with the ball. So our Selkie, Ada, is Scottish. And her mother and her aunts have been entrapped by this magical creature called the magpie. Never heard of it. Me neither. He was actually quite a scary monster. And he's trapped them in the castle. And the way that he's trapped them is he's taken their pelts, their seal skins, and he's sewn them into an insane cloak. And the thing about Selkies is if a Selkie, who are supposed to be only female, but she definitely has a dad who is not human. Anyway, that's like neither here nor there. That's like... Listen, we're already here. Keep going. The magpie has taken their pelts so they can't go into their seal form and live in their watery kingdom. So they're trapped. Their pelts that they wear is like a fetching little capelet. When they're in their human form. And then they put up the hood and then they become a seal. 
And it contains a piece of their soul. And if you touch their pelt, it feels like you're touching their soul. Right. Really good, sulky movie of this is a mythology that is striking your fancy is the Song of the Sea, where famous father of Damo Gleason, Brendan Gleason. I cannot believe you just described Brendan Gleason as father of Donald Gleason. Famous father. Known for being dad of guy in Star Wars. <laughs> Brendan Gleeson is the famous. Brendan Gleeson is my Brendan Fraser <laughs> and it does hurt me. And this is not the first time this has happened. It won't be the last. The things when I think of Brendan Gleeson, do you want me to tell you what they are? Go. Yeah. This is going to change our relationship forever. I want you to be prepared for that. Okay. Like, okay. You're going to think less of me and we both need to be prepared for that. Okay. When I think Brendan Gleeson, I think, and in this order, the village in Bruges. That's really good. Mad-Eye Moody. Yeah, I don't think less of you. Oh, really? I thought you would definitely take me to task for the village. That's my first one. That's Brendan Gleeson to me in a nutshell. Isabeau, that is exactly what I expected. <laughs> if not being a little bit impressed by the In Bruges. I really liked In Bruges. Everyone does. It's a good movie. It's very good. Also, Song of the Sea. I think of Brendan Gleeson when I think of that movie. It's a children's film. It's animated. It's very good. It's by the same people who did Secret of the Kells. Yes. It's basically the same movie. Basically, yeah. Brendan Gleeson's also in that one, too. It's also got the cute kid from Moon Boy. Mm. He voices her brother. Yeah. That's the Irish actor's coroner. <laughs> She's a sulky. She's got to rescue her mom and her aunts. The only way to do it, the only way to get the magpie is to go to the monster's ball because she can be harmed, but she can't be killed. Yeah. And he wears the pelts with him at all times like a gross trophy. I'll stitch together. She gets a makeover from a witch on her way in Edinburgh. In Edinburgh. The makeover sounds lame as hell. Super fucking lame. I was like, if you're going to have a fucking makeover scene, like I wanted to feel like Pretty Woman meets Princess Diaries meets everything else. She ends up in a black lace mermaid gown, which... Ew. I know. Also, she's a selkie, not a mermaid. Like, fuck you. Not all sea creatures. Thank you. And the first thing that happens to her at the ball is that she meets a dryad who's wearing the exact same thing. And they're like, we like this about each other, which never happens. Never happens. And also Nia, who is a dryad from Canada, is like super chill about it. But I 100% think that Nia is the person who would not be chill because Ada basically has no friends. She only has selkie friends. She doesn't really interact with other supernatural creatures. So like the fact that Nia was so cool, I was like, that seems suspect to me. But that also speaks to me of like the summer camp nature of the monster yes. ball, which I do feel intimately familiar with, where you're like going to make best friends with the first person you can talk to. Yep. And is like, we're wearing the same dress. Did you get in Edinburgh? Did you get it from that weird witch? Did you give her a lot of money? Because she also did my nails and your nails are really cool. They both have long, dark brown hair, which becomes a critical detail. Oh my God, we're like twins. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, it does become a critical detail that they look alike. I totally totally forgot about that. Yeah. Critical detail that they look Shame like. Shame on me <laughs> for just thinking it was laziness. Nope. Critical detail that they look like. Do you know what is laziness? The s'mores cocktail. I can't even get into how lazy the actual Monsters Ball stuff is because like it's just disappointing. <laughs> it's so upsetting. 
exciting. Can we get into it? All right, let's get into it. One of the things that I find really disappointing in like a supernatural or an extraterrestrial, by the way, you categorize alien, like extraterrestrial romance as paranormal romance, or do you consider those two separate ideas? If so, why? Does one seem more real to you than the other? Are you asking me or are these rhetorical? No, I actually want to know how you feel about aliens in this moment. Aliens are super different because science fiction functions by different rules than supernatural stuff. Supernatural stuff relies on a kind of magic, which is not science. Science fiction romance functions in like the vocabulary of science and paranormal functions in the vocabulary of magic. And those things are different. So I believe that aliens are different from mythologies and paranormal because they don't rely on that vocabulary and they don't have that same scaffolding. They have different scaffolding? Yeah, I think lazy alien romances do. They rely on like Star Trek heavy versions of that. And lazy paranormals do the same thing where they're like, she's a dryad, she's a tree, she's a sulky, she's a seal. You know what they are. You've read the stuff. Is it lazy or is it economy of language? Because it's such a short story. Tell me something new. Tell me something interesting, right? What I wish is like, I hate the idea that there are all of these supernatural creatures who have lived for an incredibly long time. They're basically immortal. Some of them have, some of them haven't. Some might be like brand new to the world, but you kind of get the sense that there's this super powerful being who is throwing the monster's ball. Yes. Mysterious one. But it's basically just a big dance party with booths and that you can have sex in or see a psychic in or play poker in. And then there's fireworks and all of these supernatural creatures lose their shit over fireworks. Here's what it sounded like. It sounded like the Oscars party that you have to go to before you go to Elton John's. You know what I mean? It's like the party that like you have to have your picture taken at with like Diana Wintour or whatever. And like then you go to the real after party where it's like all the fun shit happens. It's like bad stuff was happening at this party. Like the magpie is 100% raping supernatural creatures. Uh, Yeah, he's there mostly to fuck. So maybe rather than like an Oscars party, it's like like a work Christmas party, but like everybody's excited to be there. Yes. But like management has to be there and everybody else is excited to be there. So like the lesser supernatural beings are like super jazzed. Yeah. And like the older supernatural beings are just there to like harm the lesser supernatural beings, which is a dynamic that I'm just like both bored by and like upset by. It's like, is that the best thing a monster's ball can do? It can just be like the worst kind of of like Christmas party gross Yeah, here are some descriptions of the party that were particularly disappointing to me. Overhead, the music thumped from speakers (laughs) along the walls, blasting drums, guitar, and vocals. And I commented, is it significant there isn't a bass? (laughs) It's not, but it's a three-piece band. Creatures of all types and genders. I love that there is a limited list of genders. I mean, you just like steamrolled over my weirdest part. And the supernatural creatures adhere to a limited list of genders. So you're like, okay, what's going on? So she looks up and she sees ensorcelled clouds above pulsing colorful lights, which is basically a Pinterest DIY photo background. All right. Snob central. No, because I haven't even talked about the cocktail yet. This cocktail
cocktail is the kind of thing that gets written by someone who doesn't enjoy cocktails. It's a boozy hot chocolate with marshmallows on top. And then the guy breathes his dragon fire. He's a normal bartender, but he's also a dragon, which like if you're going to be like a dragon doesn't look like you expect, don't make it a normal human man. I know. Like give him like literal scales or like shiny copper hair or like. And he's the bartender. Dragons are bartenders in this universe, y'all. That seems weird. Selkies are just here in bad lace dresses that they got from Hot Topic. But like dragons are bartenders and selkies are the ones tipping them. She didn't even fucking tip. Let's be real. I don't think you have to tip in not Edinburgh. Yeah. In the mysterious galaxy. You don't have to tip at the monster bar. It's a open bar. The (laughs) eternal who's throwing the monster ball party is definitely paid for that. Is taking care of the tip. Don't worry about it. Just have a good time. Don't worry about it. The dragon's fine. Why? Did you see a dragon put out a jar? I told them not to do that. That's tacky. That's so gauche. We don't do that at this party. Fuck, it's the monster's ball. Don't do that. Tell Des not to do that. There was another point where it says two male creatures with sharp teeth and furry tails laughed like high-pitched hyenas. And I said, I am not about to be tricked into reading furry porn. (laughs) And I wasn't. That's not what this story is. That's not what this story is. But there's also like stuff that's really cool in the short story that seems to really get at a sense of atmosphere. And it's like, why couldn't the party be like that? I want to read this passage. Each type of dander and skin had its own unique smell, musky, warm, and enchanting. Under those scents were essences of flowers, fruits, spices, even vanilla, perfumes. And beneath all that were the smells of the building hiding beneath the magic, metal, concrete. That's such a good tell of like a selkie has this really specific sense of smell and that's a way of reading the room. I would have been cooler if it would have been like some of that fruity stuff was perfume and some of it was just the way those critters sweat. That would have been really cool. The idea of different skin types and danders, that was really cool. Like there seems to be like a knack here for that. But it doesn't come to bear on the actual setting, which feels like a real missed opportunity. I think you're right to say like the sensorial stuff, especially any time that somebody else touches her pelt. I was both tingled and understood moments of danger through other people touching her pelt. Oh, it was such a pithy way of describing sexuality. Yes. And sexual intimate touch between strangers where it's both titillating and kind of shameful and kind of fearful. Dangerous. Yes. Yeah. And then it required an element of trust. I think it was excellent shorthand for that. And like this author did a really good job with that. But like there were other moments where I'm just like, are we at the Yule Ball? Because this is kind of what it feels like, but worse. This party wishes it was the Yule Ball. There wasn't a single floating candle. When I throw regular parties, Mm. it's all candles. Mm. Thank you. You've got to set the mood. Yes, exactly. You don't just want some cotton batting with twinkle lights and it gets serious. Yeah, seriously. Unless it's your bat mitzvah. I was just about to say, are we in a middle school gym? <laughs> like, what the fuck are we doing? <laughs> yeah, super disappointing. Also, something that wasn't disappointing, the magpie. The magpie was truly terrifying. And like, it says a lot about the story that I want to know more about the magpie, who is our deep and dark villain. He has trapped our heroine's mother and aunts in a ramshackle castle. He's wearing their pelts as a trophy. He's raping other supernatural creatures like with the pelts on the floor. So the pelts are somehow now inculcated in his other crimes and harms, which was like a crazy discussion about like what it means to like be a soul witness, which I was like, 
deep here for. But like when you create a monster with that kind of vibe and you don't have anything to balance it, you suddenly have a villain who's more interesting than the hero and the heroine. And that's a problem. I understand where it was coming from because the Selkie does seem like such an unimposing monster. Mm -hmm. But we just don't get her like color, you know? Well, her color is goodness. Like her color is being innocent. Yeah. She's pretty bland. Yeah, she vanilla, but not like a Debbie Maycomber vanilla. She's just like straight up white paper towels. I like that's her. Yeah, I'm like, that's so disappointing. It's like in the hands of someone who's really considering what innocence functions as, like what naivety can function as, as a mechanism to discuss those things, especially in relation to something like the magpie, which is cynical and extractive and cruel for fun, sadistic. Has claymation villain hair. Right. Like if you've created something this good and you don't have anything to balance it out, but like pure light and like she loves her mom, but she's also like somehow a virgin and like meh, 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 meh. It's like, why make the villain this cool? Because now all I want to know is about Darth Vader. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think the problem or the difficulty is exacerbated by both short form and the fact that it's a supernatural story. And I think whenever we think about supernatural, it's so much more that bad feeling feels like a warm bath. You know, it's a place you want to stay in. And so I can see how that would happen. And I do think like her central character trait of being like good, that's pretty much it. (laughs) That's the kit and caboodle. And the hero's only character trait is mysterious. Enrique is like interesting in that he's guarding the magpie. They have a secret contract. Enrique clearly feels fucked about it, but he's a necromancer, which is both his race and his job, as Morgan pointed out, which feels weird. Doesn't feel good. I thought that I... I could also be a necromancer. What's stopping you from being a necromancer? Time. Hmm. Proximity to a cemetery, maybe. Fair. I have a very weird tangent about necromancy. I do want to hear it. The first time I encountered... What? The term necromancer. Oh, the term. I got so excited. The first time I encountered the term necromancer, I was 20, which feels very old now that I think about it for someone of my tastes. Necromancer feels like one of those words that could show up when you're three or it could show up when you're 83. Yeah. And so like I was sweating. This person that I met that I very much wanted to befriend was using the term incredibly casually and... Can you use it? Can I have an example? She's like, so... So the other day I was doing some necromancy. No, she was like, so the thing about necromancy is... Oh, okay. And I was like, I don't... Was this at your all-women's college? It was during my study abroad experience. Where did you study abroad? At semester at sea. (laughs) How have I never learned this about you? I don't really talk about it very often because I had a really hard time. So you're on a boat. I'm on a boat with two thousand thousand other collegiates who are much cooler than I am. Uh Uh-oh. And this human being was from the University of Virginia, which I understood correctly to be a better school than the school that I was at. And now she's about to school you on necromancy. And she did. And she said all these big words. And I was sitting there at the bar because we could legally drink in international waters before I was 21. And she was like, the thing about necromancy is when we think about it in terms of like, blah, 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 blah. She was taking a history of the circus course, which was really cool. And I was like, I'm sorry. I don't 
know that term. And she like said like the French guy that she'd been quoting. And I was like, no, not that. Um, necromancer? And she's like, oh, it's a person who brings back the dead. And then like, that was it. And I went home and I looked it up and I was like, that is not it. And that was the first moment where I understood that people who sound smart are not necessarily smarter than you are. Well, now I'm wondering what else is a necromancer? It's not only people who can bring back the dead, but it's also people who are dealing specifically with the dark side of magic. Oh. Magic spelled with CK. Oh. Mm-hmm. It's not just dead folks. It's lots of other dark and terrible stuff. It's not just bringing back the dead. It's other dark magic. Mm-hmm. Such as? Blood magics, binding folks into things. What's blood magic? Is it just a spell you do with blood? Yeah. Well, that seems like a broad category because you could use that to do good, maybe. Maybe. I don't feel like Glenda was doing good magic with blood, though. You know what I mean? I use this blood magic to get all of the dogs in the humane society adopted. I mean, that would be amazing. Anyway, that's my tangent about necromancy. A valuable lesson for us all. It was. The thing about smart people, but also the thing about necromancy not just being about raising the dead. Yeah, she was so smart. And she truly is very smart human being. You had to help me confront my own prejudice about necromancers. Mm. Where I assumed they had a very limited set of skills. Mm -mm. But now realize there's also blood magic. Mm -hmm. So he's a dark, bad wizard. He's a dark, bad wizard. Well, that also would have been more interesting to dive into. Yeah, 100%. We have no idea why he's contracted with the magpie. We have no idea why he's learning anything from him. We have no idea what the magpie is paying. But we know that part of the contract is if he doesn't fulfill it, the magpie will take his eye. And I was like, well, as a necromancer, you could probably like figure that shit out. Surely, right? Right. Like if you can get all the puppies adopted at the Humane Society. With your weird ass blood magic. Yeah, you can probably figure that out out as well. So our sulky heroine has to get the pelts. She uses her new best friend, Naya, the dryad, who is functionally her twin, to trick the magpie into following Naya around. And then Ada, our sulky, gets on his back, grabs onto him during the firework display and won't let go. He breaks Naya, the dryad's arms. Her branch arms. Her branch arms. And then everyone's like, don't worry, dryads heal really fast. And then she Ada, our selkie, turns into a seal and then bites his jugular, gets the pelts, and then our necromancer turns him to stone. Here's my question. How was she able to continue holding on to him with her seal flippers? She couldn't. She was just holding on to him with her jaws. Don't say that to me like I'm some Isabeau who doesn't know what necromancy is. (laughs) 20-year-old Isabeau on a boat alone with people who went to schools that she'd heard of but had never seen. Such exotic places as Virginia. That summer was such a weird summer for me. Anyway, yeah, she like pit bulls that thing. She like locks her jaws and like that's how she gets into his jugular and breaks the pelt coat free. Yeah. Yeah. I think like at the end of the monster ball, which I think disappointingly ends at midnight, an incredibly early time to conclude a ball. Maybe it's later than that. Too early. It's sunrise, I think. I hope so. They get magically dropped right on the coast. They break into the magpie's house. Use 
using the necromancer's powerful other forms of magic. And uh, her mother and aunts decide to return to the sea, and she decides to stay with Henrique, who's going to take her back to Panama. The end. And he's going to fulfill all her sexy dreams. All of her sexy dreams. Penis is probably weird. A necromancer penis? Yeah. Maybe. No way to know. If there were distinguishing features of a necromancer's penis, what do you think they would be? I just picture it to be like decaying. That's interesting. I pictured it more like tree-like, like it would be like a staff or a wand. Or a snake. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh. They all make the point that having sex with a soup is better than having sex with a human. Yep. I was prepared for that, though. Like, that makes sense to me. If you're supernatural, like your blood runs hotter or like faster or like something. There's like, do you know what I think would make them a better lover? Attentiveness. Observational skills. Genuine compassion. (laughs) Yeah. I hate that whenever we like introduce a male as being good at sex, it's because they're like, very intense. (laughs) And it's like, I just wish you would pay attention. I just wish you'd ask, what do you like? How do you like your tummy tickled? You know? Oh my gosh. The other night I was standing in the shower and I was thinking about the term of disparagement, mommy porn. And I was thinking about Fifty Shades of Grey. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about how everyone was so dismissive of these women, women who are fans of Fifty Shades of Grey, who would probably self-describe as kinky. Mm-hmm. And I realized, you know, people are like, oh, they're not really kinky and they're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't think they're actually interested in kinky sex. I think they're just interested in attentive sex. Yes. And I think that's what we're all interested in. And I don't think like the conversation we had with learning the tropes, I don't think it's particularly sexy to have like an animalistic lover. No. What you think you want in terms of like energy, you actually want in just like energy focused on you. Yes. And the thing about animalistic lovers is that they can smell your sex. They can like smell the thing that you want or like empathic lovers. They can like read your thoughts so that they know what you want. So you don't have to say it, right? Because the saying of the thing breaks the contract of like, I want to be seen in a way that doesn't require vocabulary. I want to be desired in a way that is overwhelming to my agency. And obvious to a partner. Yeah. Yeah. That just made me sad. This short story made me sad. It's a nomance. It is a thousand and ten percent a nomance. I have read better fan fiction recently. It did make me curious about this author's other books because I did love that like sensorial stuff. I loved the villain. The villain is so like there were some good parts in here. You know, I would definitely give this a go. It like felt not dissimilar to me than like Anna Dressed in Blood, although Anna Dressed in Blood is way better. It's already a high bar for me to clear first person narrative. Yeah. And so like this one wasn't going to do it for all Isabeau. But if you liked Anna Dressed in Blood, you might like this author's other works. Like I loved the beginning too, where we're like looking at her aunt's faces peering through this tall castle on a craggy beach somewhere in Scotland. Like, I love that. I loved like her stumbling out of the water into the city of Edinburgh. And I was picturing a very old city. And then she ends up in a black lace mermaid dress gown and a party with hot cocoa based cocktails and a three piece band and hot pink booze so you can get your palm red inside. When I read something supernatural, I do want that like gothic-y 
element. I want, you know, something that seems old and timeless. Also, like that whole thing with Edinburgh is such a fucking wasted opportunity. That's a city that's built on its own fucking catacombs and sewers. Like Edinburgh is creepy as fuck. Also, the fog rolls in and like suddenly you're in a different century. Like Jamie Fraser is 100 percent going to come out of like St. Mary's clothes and he's going to be like, what are you going to do, Sassanac? Did you go there on your semester at sea? No, I I went there in 2015. (laughs) My semester at sea, we went to Norway, Belgium, Russia, which was super cool. Italy, Greece, Croatia, and Egypt. Oh, that's a lot of cool places. It was. It was a very cool trip. I learned a lot about myself. I learned how to be awkward in public all the time. Didn't learn all that stuff about Edinburgh, though. No, I learned that when I went there in 2015. For your honeymoon? Mm Mm-hmm. And one of my dearest friends got married there. Honeymoon in Scotland. She got married in Melrose, and then we spent the next month, six weeks almost, traveling Scotland, and then spent a few days in London, and then came back and moved to Chicago. Wow. Oh my God, that was 2015? Oh, you were there. It was 2015. No, we graduated in 2017, right? Yeah, you got here a year before I did. Yeah. That's why you were so knowledgeable. About Chicago? You were so hip and connected. You had friends from Trader Joe's. I did have friends at Trader Joe's actively when we knew each other. Do you still know people who worked there with you? Like who are still working there? Mm Mm-hmm. People love that TJ lifestyle. Dude, dental, vision, really good healthcare, guaranteed raises twice a year. It's not a bad gig if that's like your gig. And I honestly think it could be anyone's gig. It can be anybody's gig. I knew a 55-year-old man who used it just so that he could save money and go to Burning Man every year. That's exactly who I imagine working at Trader Joe's. You imagine it because it's true. Yeah, because that is who's working there. Yep, he ran the wine department. Rachel also tells me stories about Trader Joe's people, and I'm like, that's a Trader Joe's person! Yes, there are insane similarities. They hire a type. Do they have Trader Joe's internationally? I don't think so. Sorry, international listeners. Since we brought up Trader Joe's, and this might even make it to the final episode, why don't you drop a quick Trader Joe's product recommendation with all your insider knowledge? Oh my god. Okay, definitely. Pumpkin season is a pumpkin. On us. Woo, woo, woo. Get the oatmeal pumpkin chocolate chip cookies. Do yourself a favor. Oatmeal pumpkin chocolate chip cookies. It's so good. It's so good. Here's the other thing about Trader Joe's. They know us. They know who you are. They know what you like. What does that mean? They give you the calories for the uncooked cookie dough, right? Like, because they know you're going to have a couple of those. And then they give you the calorie intake for the actual baked cookie. My mind has been blown tonight about you having a semester at sea, about necromancers, and now about the fact that raw cookie dough and baked cookies have different calorie counts. 30 calories different. Which is more? The baked cookie. What? (laughs) Where does it come from? That's the necromancy of baking. Oh my God. That's the dark magic. (laughs) That's what blood magic does. The thing about necromancy is it's also blood magic and that is used to add calories while your cookie is baking. While your cookie is baking. 30 calories to your pumpkin oatmeal chocolate 
chip cookies. Oh my God. They're so fucking good. Well, I'm really excited for our next bonus when we're going to discuss another story from the short story collection. Me too. Mysteriously titled. Oh my God. I just came to another highlight in this short story. My entire body was enveloped in a white squishy sort of round chair. So much fluff. And I commented, so far we have a mermaid dress, a beanbag chair, a French manicure. Oh yeah. I forgot about the French manicure. I also highlighted that. I kind of want one. Yeah. I mean, I get it, but also like, it's like the most obvious thing in the world. Oh, our next short story is going to be Assassin's Match by Everly Frost. Everly Frost is an amazing pseudonym. Ooh, ooh, you feel that chill running down your spine? It's just a little upcoming Everly Frost. Mm. Thank God. All right. We're so excited to continue the spooky season. We are. Get your Trader Joe's pumpkin products quickly Mm -hmm. because Christmas has overtaken Thanksgiving and pumpkins will be off the shelf by November 15th. How much do those oatmeal cookie things cost? Ballpark. $3.50. They come in a recyclable canister. It's all cardboard, which makes me feel good about recycling since apparently plastic can't be recycled anymore. If you don't plan on buying those cookies, maybe... Maybe you could just give three fifty to us on our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash womance. That's a good one. Thank you. And that's all that is. It's just an optional way to give us money. <laughs> if you like what we got. If you like what we've got, we send you stickers and our packaging is also recyclable. Mm-hmm. With that, loosen your woes. But never your nurses. <laughs> Keep them tight. Tight. Mwah. Boo. <laughs> Whoa, golly gee. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Womance. Womance is hosted by Isabel. That's me. And Morgan, that's me. Production is by Nick Gravelin. Our webmistress is the incomparable Jane Bonzac. And our illustration and logo were created by Mary Reichman. They're the best. If you'd like to follow, creep, or connect with us on our social media platforms, you can find us at mans underscore woe on Twitter, womance on Instagram, or email at womancemail at gmail.com. You can also hang out on our amazing website at womancepodcast.com. You can support us by using our code to visit our sponsors or go to our Patreon where we are Womance. Womance is officially part of the Frog podcast network discover more podcasts just like our own centering on romance and reading at frolic.media slash podcast until next week Mwah. <laughs>